Right then, my name is Jo, and I am married to Ben, who is at the back there. We have three amazing children. Oh, look at them. Aren't they gorgeous? Isabel, there, Elliot, and Primrose at the back now, just to tell you one or two little things about me. So I love cooking. I love eating good food. Then I'm there. I love it. I love music. I love going to art galleries. I love watching really cheesy Hallmark movies. Anyone with me on that? Carolina, where are you? There we go. <laughs> and I like watching really interesting documentaries. I like, uh, I'm going to let you into a little secret, which some of you know. I play the flute and I'm pretty good. So if you think there should be more flute in worship, Sam, just saying, there's a few of us. Where are you, flute players? Come on. There we go, anytime. I play the piano, not for anyone else's ears, just for my own. And do you know what I love? I love story. Now, some of you who know me a bit probably know that a bit about me, but I love story. In fact, sometimes when I've done children's talks and family service talks, I've written a few little stories. Today, I haven't written you a story. Everyone, ah, oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. No, but instead, I'm going to be telling you an amazing story that Jesus told us. In fact, this story is called a parable. Who can tell me, children, what a parable is? Lige. Brilliant. A story Jesus tells to teach us something. That's right. Oh, clicker. Are you working, clicker? It's not working. Do I click here? That's it. Point there. First time I've used a clicker, everyone. No, oh, which isn't working. Can we just have the next one anyway? That was it. Ah, there we go. This parable, there we go. It is, what is a parable? A simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Now, when I was looking and preparing for today's talk, I came across another definition of a parable. This is called a scholarly definition. I'd like to say that in your most scholarly voices. A scholarly definition. That's a clever definition, effectively. But it's a great definition. There you go. Okay. A scholarly definition of parable. At its simplest, a parable, so a story, is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. I love that definition. Definition. So a parable isn't just designed to make us listen and go, oh yeah, I get what Jesus is saying there, right. Jesus tells us these parables, not to make us stop thinking, but to make us stop and think. The purpose of Jesus telling us these stories so that we, so that we stop and we pay attention and we think, and when we go home, we don't stop thinking. We talk about it. We listen. We chat. We think, oh, what do you think Jesus meant by this? What do you think Jesus meant by that? That's what Jesus wants us to do. So this morning, we're going to hear about the parable of the lost son, the parable of the prodigal son, as it's also known. Now, probably put your hands up here if you have heard that story before. Lots of people. Is anyone here who hasn't heard it? Don't be ashamed. It's okay if you haven't. Yep, one or two people who haven't heard it before, but the majority of us have heard it many times. Who do you think has heard it more than 20 times in their life? Yeah, more than 50, probably. Who knows? Many, many times. It's a story that's really, really well known, and most of you children who come along to church regularly will know this story already. But today, I would like you, adults and children, this is for both of you today, to allow this story to arrest your ear. That means to make you stop and think. 
allow Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Father God, to speak to you this morning to tell you something new, not something that comes from my words, because they probably are words you know, but something that comes from his Holy Spirit into your heart. So when you're listening to this, let God speak to you. So kids, boys and girls, grown-ups, we're going to watch a video now, which is going to tell us the story in a really great way. Excellent. All right, what an amazing story, the story of the prodigal son. This story, the prodigal son, has inspired loads and loads of people across hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, it's inspired some amazing works of art. We've just got two little things here, Rembrandt, The Return of the Prodigal Son, and this book, Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. These are just two things that have been inspired, but there have been a number of artists inspired. There's been loads of literature and books and plays. Shakespeare was inspired by this story. There's been music. There's been operas written, ballets written, Debussy, Prokofiev, Benjamin Britten. These are all names who have been inspired by this amazing story. And how many more stories and uh, paintings and music has been inspired that we don't even get to see? So again, as we think about this story today, allow... God, to inspire you with something afresh from this story. Allow yourself to be inspired by what you have heard and what we're going to think about today. It's going to be difficult to think about such an amazing story in such a short space of time. So if I go on a bit long, I do apologise. But it's going to be hard because there's just so, so much in this story. So first of all, when you listen to a story, especially something that Jesus told in the Bible, it's really, really good to think about who he was speaking to. Now, it told us in the video who Jesus was telling this story to. I wonder if anyone was paying attention, you guys, and can tell us. There are two different groups of people that Jesus was telling this story to. Who was it? Anyone? Yes, I am. You're not sure? Elijah had his hand up. Eliana? The tax collectors and the Pharisees. Good. So it was the tax collectors and the sinners put together. So that's basically the people who the the good religious people of the day didn't really like. The people who did things wrong, the people who were sometimes unkind, the tax collectors and considered mean and people didn't really like them. The Pharisees, who were the religious scholars of the day, the people who followed all the rules, they didn't mix together. So they were cross. The Pharisees were cross with Jesus because he was speaking to the tax collectors and the sinners. So Jesus told this story not just to the Pharisees and not just to the tax collectors and sinners. He told it to both of them, to both these groups of people. Now, he also, when he told this story, this wasn't the only story he told. Does anyone know, even some of the adults, there were two more parables he told at this exact moment before this to the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the sinners? Does anyone know? Any adults know? Just shout out if you do. Lost coin, does somebody say? Yeah, that's right. The first one he told was actually the lost sheep. So the sheep that goes missing, the shepherd follows after the sheep, searches, finds the sheep, and then they celebrate. The next one is the lost coin. This is a story about a woman who loses a coin. I know you guys, especially if you lose a coin, you're going to search for it. Some of you I've seen searching in shops in case somebody else has lost a coin under things. Sometimes you get something. It's quite worth trying if you're short a few pence sometimes. You never know. Um, But the story was the story of a lost coin. There was a lady who lost a coin and she searched for it, her whole house, and she found it and she celebrated. So this story is about what? A lost son. That's right. A lost son. A son who was lost. And then... Then he was searched for, and then what happened at the end? He was celebrated. So that's the theme. In these three stories that Jesus told, something that was lost, something that was searched for and found, and something
and something that was then celebrated. But this story is different because it's about a person. It's about someone who made a choice to be lost. They ran off. They didn't just drop and get lost. This person, the lost son, made a choice and not good choices at that. So we can look at this story from three different perspectives. The obvious ones, we've got the youngest son, the father, and the oldest son. So, the youngest son. What did the youngest son get from his father? Boys and girls, what did the youngest son get from his dad? Money, 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 money. Elliot said like this, money, 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 yep. Was it money that was his or his dad's? His dad's. Beck? That's right, Beck said, wasn't it his because it was his inheritance? Yes, but when do you get your inheritance? Usually. When the person dies. So he wasn't really due his money yet. He wasn't meant to get it yet. He wasn't ready yet for his money. But he wanted it. He wanted it now. Don't know if you feel like that. I don't want to wait. I want it now. I want to do this now. I'm not waiting. Why am I should I bother waiting? I can do it now. I can go off and do this now. That's what the youngest son was like. He wanted it now. And he took what was, his, what was meant to be his in the future, but not yet. He took it and ran off. And that's right. What did he do with his inheritance? What did he do with his inheritance when he ran off? Luca? He like, bought loads of stuff. And, like, bought loads of stuff and spent it. Yep. Yep. He, yep, lied. Yeah, spent it on lots of parties and things and then ran out. That's right. Yes, he did. Good. But why did the son come home? Who can tell me, children? Eli. Because then he was going to die. That's right. He'd run out of food even, hadn't he? And he was, gonna, he was working with the pigs, and even that would have been bad in those days. He wouldn't have wanted to work with the pigs because the Israelites wouldn't want to work with the pigs. So that was the worst job he could have. He didn't want that. But he was starving and hungry, so had to return home. He had nothing left. How do you think he would have felt when his father came running to him? How do you think he would have felt when his father came running to him on his way home? Luca. Luke said, he, Luke said he, he would have thought, why would he have been so happy? He thought, why are you so happy, Dad? Why are you so happy? And he would have thought that Dad probably was going to punish him, wouldn't he? Instead, he welcomed him. He would have just been over the moon, wouldn't he? Amazed. Amazed. And so we can think about this story as well from the father. How would the father feel seeing his son take what wasn't really meant to be his and go and leave? I think the father would have felt lost. Sad, let down, hurt, angry, frightened, worried for his son. He, wouldn't, he would have, you know, this is the story that Jesus saw. This isn't real. This didn't actually happen. This is a story. But you've got to imagine, how would you feel? Or some of you who are parents to older, older children, teenagers, adults, might know that feeling. You've let them go. They've gone. And you just have to watch as they make their mistakes and trust that God's got them. But you, have, you, know, you don't have a choice at that point. The father in this story gave the money but then his son's gone he's lost him and when his son returned he didn't go to him and say well you idiot you've wasted your money I gave it to you you, and you you didn't invest it I taught you to invest money you didn't invest your money you spent it all you've wasted it spent it on parties and women and friends you know oh it would be easy for the father to have done that because that's how often, naturally often we might feel with things. Well, it's your fault. You did it. You're in that mess because you got yourself in that mess. That's not what the father does. The father doesn't do that. The father runs to the son and accepts him back. And not only that, but he celebrates the return of his son and rejoices with him. That's what the father says. 
He says, let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I think that's a beautiful verse, don't you? Absolutely beautiful. He's lost and he's found. Most of us know the very famous hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was lost and now I'm found. That feeling of being found. I'm being found. I've been picked up. I'm cherished again. I've been found. Then we can look at the story from the older brother's perspective. Now, how do you think you would feel if you were the older brother? So you're a younger brother who might have annoyed you anyway, because quite frankly, that quite often happens, doesn't it? The younger brother might have annoyed you anyway. And so he's taken his inheritance early and gone. You're left at home doing all the work for everybody now because your brother's off. I think he'd be angry, but I also think he would have been hurt. If this was real life and your sibling had done that to you, you wouldn't just be angry. You would miss them. You'd be sad. You'd think, you'd remember the fun you had together, the good times you had together. And you think, now I'm on my own. You left me here on my own and I'm working and I'm just hearing my dad and dad's getting old and I'm in the field and oh, that would be a normal response. And he would have been sad and missed him. And do you know what? Can you remember how the older son reacted when his brother came back? Any of you guys, can you remember? What did the older son do? Yeah, good. Zion, can you turn around and do that face to everyone? Go on, please, Zion. I'll give a good example of it. It's not quite as good as Zion's. Not quite as good, Zion, but yours was better. But Like that, yeah. He was angry. In fact, I'll read it to you because I think this is great. I love how angry he is. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So he's angry, he's outside. I'm not going into this party. I'm not going in. I reckon there'll be a footstep. I'm not going into this party. Oh, goodness sake. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He's cross. He's angry. But you know what I love about this next bit? Absolutely love. It's the father in this story. He doesn't turn around to the older brother and say, oh, for goodness sake, you've been, it's all been fine for you. You've had everything you need. Oh, stop having such a bad attitude about your brother. Just let it go. Leave him alone. He doesn't do that. The father doesn't do that to the oldest son. He doesn't treat the oldest son in that way. In fact, he puts, well, I'd like to imagine he puts his hand on The father puts a hand on the brother's shoulder and he puts his hand on his shoulder and says, my son, the father said. Now this is great because right at the beginning of this verse, the father's saying, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? You are my son. He reminds the older brother who he is. He reminds him he's not just someone that works in the fields. He's his son. Because sometimes in life, you, you know, the, I, I can think the older brother could just go on doing the jobs because that's what he does and that's what he does and he knows he's his son, but he's just doing the jobs because that's what he does and he's good and he's faithful and he always works hard. But the dad reminds him, he makes him stop and he goes, my son, that's who you are. You're not my worker, you're my son. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to. I've highlighted here the words had to. We had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And what I love here is the words, this brother of yours. He doesn't say, this other son of mine. He says, this brother of yours. So he's, the father's reminded 
the oldest son, my son. And now he's reminding him, you're a brother. He's not just a person. He's your brother. He's the man. He's the, the one that you grew up with. He's the one that you laughed with, that you wrestled with, that you rolled down hills with, that you kicked under the table and then forgave each other and laughed at something else with. He's reminding him, your brother. That's your brother. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found. And do you know what? I love it because the father is the same father to the youngest son and he's the same father with the oldest son. The youngest son who's made mistakes, who'd wasted money, who's done things that, since it's part of the children's talk, we probably won't talk of as well, but done bad things. He's done bad things, made bad choices. The father comes running to him. It says in this passage that Not only does the father come running to him, but he says, the father sees him still a long way off. Perhaps if this is the first time you've heard this story, then this is the bit that I want you to take. The father sees the son a long way off. He doesn't stand angrily back. So God, our father, doesn't stand angrily back, pointing a finger, saying, yeah, well, you know, you've done this and you've done that. And until you can come and say sorry for each in individual thing um, and until you can uh, do serve at church for the next five years and until you um, give uh, way beyond your 10% to 50% of your income, then, you know, then I'm going to, then you can come in, then I will let you in. The father sees the son a long way off before he knows the son's response. He sees him coming. He sees all that the youngest son needed to do was start his journey home start the walk home towards the father and the father doesn't stand with open arms he runs runs with open arms now when my little primrose still does this she runs towards me with open arms now she's my little one and I stand and catch her and lift her in there but the feeling when someone runs to you with open arms is such a beautiful feeling it's a beautiful feeling when I see primrose running to me with her arms open And I love to imagine God running towards us, bigger, (laughs) but like that, arms open. My son, my daughter, running, running towards us. That's how much he loves us. Now, it's an amazing story. And it's like I said, it's inspired loads and loads of stories and works of art. But if I was to rewrite some of this or to write a version of this or to add on an imaginative element, creative element to what already exists in this story, these are three things I've come up with. One is I think it would be really amazing to write the prodigal's journey, but write it in a really beautiful descriptive manner that describes the depth of emotion. When the son leaves thinking he's got all this money and how exciting it's going to be, Then when he parties and, whoa, that just feels so good. And then as the money goes and the friendships go and the food goes. Imagine how beautiful you could write that. You could write something absolutely incredible and it will have been written. Describing all of those things. But the bit that I think would be really amazing to write would be the journey home. The prodigal son's journey home. He would start off remorseful, feeling sorry for what he'd done, hoping his father was going to accept him, not even knowing whether he'd have the door slammed in his face. And all these thoughts would be going through his mind. And he's weak and he's tired. And as he gets closer to home, this is what I like to imagine. I like to imagine that if this was real and really happening, the son, the, the son returning home would remember things. Because if you think, if, you ever, if you've left somewhere and then come back, even if you go on holiday and then come back home, suddenly the things that were familiar in your every day and you, and you just forget to see and don't think about and don't look at, you suddenly notice. So I'd like to imagine that this prodigal son's journey home, as he begins to notice beauty 
in the everyday. He sees, he sees where he walks. And was a child, he, he sees flowers he might have picked for his mum. I'd like to think he was a good son. And sees the wild flowers and thinks, oh, I forgot about those beautiful flowers. He sees a path. He remembers falling and he remembers his dad picking him up and taking him home and you know, washing his knee. And he sees these things. And I would like to write that. I'd like to write that when, when the son begins to remember these things and experience a joy that he probably hasn't felt because he's been doing all these things and wasting and wasting. And he remembers how precious his life at home was. Now, that's one I would love to write. The other one I'd like to write. If I was rewriting this, I would write two older brothers in the story. Two older brothers. And then I would write the story of after the younger son came home and the two brothers and how they might have responded. So I would like to imagine, just if you can follow my train of thought, which often goes off in lots of places. If you imagine these two brothers, I'd like to imagine both these older brothers, one of them has, after the father's spoken to him, has decided, yes, you're right, father, I'm good. this is my brother, I'm going to forgive him, we're going to walk life together again. The other one is not so happy about this. The other one doesn't find it so easy to forgive and to move on. So I'd like to imagine this angry <laughs> bitter older brother who can't move on and in his story the anger and the bitterness become so great that it eats him up inside it eats up the goodness of who he was he forgets about being the father's son because he's so angry with what someone else has done wrong oh they've done this wrong they've done that he shouldn't have done this he shouldn't have done that he shouldn't have been welcome home that's not how I would have handled this situation I'm cross with my dad he didn't handle this the way that I thought he should have handled this situation this other brother who allows bitterness to take root. Then the other one, the other brother who's forgiven him, is quite the opposite for him. Because him and the younger brother get closer and closer and closer. This is my made-up story, by the way. Him and the younger brother get closer and closer. And together they rediscover what it means to be home together. They rediscover the beauty in the ordinary. They rediscover the wonder in being safe and at a home where they are loved. And they remember and they rediscover beauty together. There we go. Wait, hang on, sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. Yeah, there we go. So I would like us today to imagine this journey home together. I would like us today, whether we think that we might be like the prodigal son coming home, or whether we feel like the older brother who's been faithful and carried on and carried on, or whether perhaps you're struggling to feel like my made-up second brother who's finding it hard to let go of something that's hurt you, and that's okay. Do you know this? the father in this story isn't cross with the older brother. The father is loving and draws him in. So I would like today to think about us journeying together in life, journeying home together, And my prayer is that God is going to give us together eyes that see, that see beauty, that begin to see the known, the small things again, that also see the extraordinary together, the magnificent, the minute detail of this amazing life that God has given us, of the Father's amazing love for us, for each and every single one of us no matter how far we've gone, or no matter how steadfastly we've stayed. There is joy in what God has for us. 
and in the inheritance that is ours because we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. So I'm going to finish by reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Kids, if you switched off, you can pay attention again. It's the way that this, this, this is a really, really great resource that kind of is a, is a kid's Bible that just tells the story so beautifully. And at the very end of this, there's a paraphrase from John. John 1, verses 12 to 13. And I'd like to invite the, uh, Tim and Sam, the band, <laughs> back up. But I want you, before I read this, I want you just to really think together that we are family. We are family here, every single one of us, whether this is the first time you've walked into church, whether you've been here hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of times. We are family. And I believe that God wants to say to you guys today, to us all today, my son, my daughters, we are here to celebrate one another. Let's celebrate life. Let's celebrate each other. Let's walk together when things are hard. Let's weep together when things are sad. Let's rejoice together and support one another. Let's see each other as the Father sees us through his eyes, his loving eyes, his searching eyes, waiting for you to come to him, waiting, running towards you with arms open wide, running to to embrace you, to hold you, to welcome you home together okay so here we go this is from John 1 for anyone who says yes to Jesus for anyone who believes what Jesus said for anyone who will just reach out to take it then God will give them this wonderful gift to be born into a whole new life to be who they really are who God always made them to be their own true selves, God's dear child. And the book here ends by saying, because you see the most wonderful thing about this story and about today's story is it's your story too. So today, come home. Let's journey home together into the Father's loving arms. So Father God, thank you that your love for us is so great, that you are slow to anger, that you are rich in love, that you are gracious and compassionate. Thank you that you love every single one here, every single individual here in this room, that you know how many hairs are on our head, you know what we've done and said and think that is not of you, and you know those things, yet you still come running to us. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for this story. May it arrest our hearts today.